Tonight we're going to look at what is the shield of faith and the fiery darts that it extinguishes. How and by whom was this spiritual armor used in the Word of God? In fact, we're going to look at one person in particular in detail. And we're going to see that at first they had the shield up, but then they let the shield down. We're going to look at some of the clues we're given as to how the shield came down. And we're going to see what Paul means when he starts out saying, Above all, taking the shield of faith. Because some in reading this think this is the most important piece of armor that there is. So as we went over before, we looked at in the belt of truth, what battles may have been lost because we left the truth. We looked at examples of people who held on to the truth, and because of that, great battles were waged and won. Daniel, of course, was one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were others. And there were uh, some kings who let go of the truth, and because of it, great battles were lost. They were never fought. And, and God said, I desired a victory here but you let this go. And we have to make sure that we hang on to that because there are some battles that we are intended to fight and the enemy puts pressure on us to loosen our belt, loosen that belt of truth. And once we loosen that belt of truth and we let a little bit of, of untruth get in, it loosens all the armor and you can uh, be more vulnerable. The blessed parade of righteousness we saw was very much integrated with the belt. The belt kept it in place as far as the Roman soldier was concerned, and your truth, the truth we learn from the Word of God, is what keeps our understanding of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness, righteousness will keep us from self-righteousness. It will keep us from unforgiveness, unanswered prayer, not acting on our right stand, founded in the works that Jesus did, from being shaken from our authority and the right use of the name of Jesus, and from thinking something is not working because of what we did. This is what the breastplate of righteousness can do. We looked at examples for these in Scripture. We also went over the fact each time when we've done this that spiritual warfare is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. But the reason he says that is because spiritual warfare will materialize against people, thoughts, and natural things. This is what the spiritual powers use. They use people. They use thoughts, and they use natural things. So Paul says, don't get distracted by the method with which the spiritual powers come against you. The battle is in the spirit, but it will materialize in the people, in the thoughts, in the natural things that go on around you. But don't lose sight. Of course, the best example for this is Jesus on the boat with the waves. The disciples lost sight of the spiritual matters, and they got their eyes on the waves. The waves were a problem for them, but they were not the problem. The problem was the wind. And Jesus spoke to the problem, which was the wind, which caused the waves to go back, to die down. As long as we keep fighting waves, fighting people, fighting natural things, we're not fighting spiritual warfare the way it's intended, the way that God says this is, this is how it is. So we saw the people act up. The enemy will sow thoughts resulting or from offenses that they uh, can leave with us. Natural things we don't understand occur. And they pave the way for thoughts, judging the motives of God, judging the motives of others, or bringing judgment upon me. People will deceive me into the wrong kind of righteousness as was done with the saints of Galatia. And natural things that don't seem to listen to my authority in Jesus can cause us to bring us into questioning. We saw this in Mark chapter 9. Last time we were looking at the shoes of peace and it is likely better understood as the shoes of preparation or readiness because really it was the gospel of peace and not so much the shoes of peace. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We looked at how many Christians are hindered at being witnesses because of a lack of knowledge, personal shortcomings, Fear of persecution, judgmental attitudes, or distance from God's love. Spent more detail, more time on that when we're looking at that. But one of the greatest weapons we saw Paul use against spiritual forces when he came into a city, he preached the gospel. And that gospel was a gospel of peace between man and God. And it always stirred up trouble. 
But when he came into a new place, when he walked into a new town, a new city, he would preach the gospel. He would look around, he would find the opportunity, he would find the place, and he would preach the gospel. The number one thing we can do against the enemy is to preach the gospel, is to go out and be witnesses for him, to share the gospel of peace, that God is not the enemy of man, but he had sent his son to die on the cross for their sin because he desires to make peace. The enemy has deceived many people into thinking that God is against them and that God wants them to go to hell and that God has done things uh, that are harmful. And in Paul's day, many of the gods that these people served were gods that were mad at people, that took vengeance upon people, and they had to do things to appease them. So he coming out there with the gospel of peace, guys, there's already peace between us and God. He's already sent his son. You just need to receive it. And this is very different from the things they believe. But I believe that that would be what the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace are. So again, Ephesians 6.10, let's read this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And remember in verse 12, as he continually used this word against, we spent a good bit of time on that word. It is the Greek word pros, and it means close. It means these are people that are close to you. These are people that are near to you. These are people that you may not expect these attacks to come from. Uh, Jesus was attacked by Satan through Peter. Uh, Paul was attacked by people that were on his side. There were constantly Jewish people who you would think would be spreading the gospel who traveled from city to city just to stir up trouble with him. These are the people that he said that we are against. These are the ones that are coming there. But there is a spiritual force behind them. Verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you may be, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, above all, is uh, two words here: epi, pasan. The word epi means over, and the word pasan means all or everything. This is not, uh, as some people would interpret this, as the most important thing. But what he is talking about here is over or above all these other pieces of armor is the shield of faith. So what his example of is he is looking at the shield the Romans would carry into battle, not the shields you see in the movies. In the movies they have the Roman decorative shield. That is that round shield that has a lot of decorative things on it. That's their show shield. They bring that out when they're on parade. They bring that out when they're in a peaceful situation. But when they go into battle, that's not about the one that they take into battle. They take one that was, uh, this word actually for shield is, um, is basically, uh, you can break it down to a door. It was long and it was wide, just like a door would be. And so what you would do is when you became a soldier in the Roman army, they would measure you, much like a, a man would be measured for a suit. You would be measured for a shield. How tall are you? That's, we have to make the shield tall enough to cover you. We have to make the shield wide enough to cover you because you are going to be having a shield that is basically the size or maybe a little bit smaller than your body, but it's going to be able to cover you uh, whereas you're not dragging it on the ground, but it's there to protect you. So you, you can get behind this and when the enemy began to shoot its arrows or uh, engage you in battle, you had something that would protect your entire battle, your, your entire body. So it was out in front. And really, you can understand this word this way. Out in front of everything is the shield of faith. Not more important than anything else. Because how can the shield of faith be more important than the belt of truth? Because without the belt of truth, how do you have faith? It's very key into, into all those things. So it's not more important. It's just out in front. 
So you don't have the, sh the shield behind you. You don't have it to the side of you. You have it out in front. It's out in front for these things because when the battle is on and the fiery darts are coming, the shield of faith needs to be there. Now, I've seen some descriptions of the shield of faith and the, the two main ones I've seen, it's, it's either uh, six or seven layers of leather sewn together and hardened in such a way to make it almost as hard as steel. And other descriptions have that there was uh, some kind of metal in the shield that was surrounded by leather. Either way you get there, there is leather around this, this shield. And what you would do before you would go into battle is you would soak this shield in water so that it was wet and it would hold the water for a time. So you would soak it, not just dip it, you would soak it in the water so that that leather can absorb that water. And when you go into battle, it makes the shield heavier. But when these darts would come, they would hit the shield and the wet leather could extinguish the fiery darts. Now, when they would fire fiery darts or fiery arrows, these are arrows that are dipped in pitch tar and they would light that on fire and then they would, they would uh, send it. They didn't just light the arrow or the dart uh, on fire. They would dip it into pitch, light that on fire, and send it flying. Now, if you are familiar with tar, if it's on fire, it's, it's very liquid. It's not very uh, solid at that point. It's burning. And when it hits a topic can, or hits a, a target, can you imagine what would happen with the burning tar on the arrow? The tar would come off and it would land on things and would burn those things. So if it hits your skin, it would burn that skin. It would uh, catch things on fire. This is what its purpose was. So when you had the shield, the shield would t absorb the arrow and also any tar that would come off and the shield would extinguish the, uh, the fire that was there because it was wet. So these are the kind of conditions that they faced in battle. They would have the archers. They would have the, uh, these things that would be sending them. And uh, if they were done from a distance, they would shoot them up into the air and they would come down upon the, the, the soldiers and they would have the shields. They could put them up in the air to stop them. Wherever the fiery darts were coming from, these were there. They were large enough that they could protect them. A soldier had to take care of their, their uh, shield. As we said, it's not just metal. So it takes some maintenance. Anything with leather, you know, will take some maintenance. But they really maintained these things. It was the responsibility of each soldier to take care of their own shield. And so they were given an uh, ointment, a type of uh, oil, that they would take and they would uh, get it into a cloth and they would rub it into the shield every day. Every day they would do this because if you didn't, the leather would become hard and brittle. And you can't have that. You had to have it to be loose. You had to have it to be... Uh, uh, well oiled and so they would do this this is a daily routine for them they would oil their shields and they would maintain it so in the same way our faith I can just see Paul sitting there with a, as a prisoner watching the soldier who was watching them they're sitting there they probably would do their, their shield at that time and he could see them rubbing the oil he may even ask them questions why do you do that what's the purpose of that and they may even have engaged in conversation about how that shield was used in battle. And that may be how he got to the, the fiery darts. And they may have talked to him about the soaking of the shield and the things that were going on. And he gave Paul the picture. Uh, as God revealed the spiritual battle, he used the picture of what Paul already had in his head from sitting there with these Roman soldiers. Because most of the people who met Paul liked Paul, who, who were not the, uh, the Jewish people who were trying to kill him. The, the soldiers generally liked them. Remember, he was on the, on the boat and the centurion, he liked Paul. He, Paul apparently was a very likable person, and especially for people who didn't have an opinion on his religion and the conflict between Christianity and the Jewish faith, and the Roman soldiers really wouldn't get involved in any of that. And so they, they seemed to generally like Paul. So they would probably have some of these free conversations with him and talking to him about this. And so he says, out in front of all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So again, it's not the most important, but the one in front. This is the piece of armor that is in front. I gave you the word for shield. Again, it's an oblong door that is wide and long in length. 
the um, word here for take up, we already took, took, took up that word, <laughs> took up take up, when we had uh, discussed this earlier, but it is Ana Lambano, and it was used quite often, in fact, almost half the times this word is used, it's used for when Christ was taken up into heaven. So it's not a uh, taking up and putting down, taking up and putting down, as some people want to teach spiritual uh, armor is. You put spiritual armor on, you keep it on, because the Christian is involved in spiritual battle all the time. It's not like the Romans who could decide, we're going into battle tomorrow. Tomorrow we, we are marching out here, on the third day we'll be at the target, and then we're going to be engaged in battle. It's not like that. Spiritual battle, spiritual warfare is going on all the time. You need to have the armor on. So he's describing these pieces that we need to make sure we take care of. Make sure you have the belt of truth on. Be careful what you accept as truth. We have to be very careful with some of the things that come out that people are saying, well, this is truth, and, and this is... We, my wife and I, we were driving somewhere, and uh, we were listening to some... I didn't catch the name. I just know that this particular station, we're in her car, and her car gets the junkie Christian station that's around here. And so they had the uh, some pastor from some megachurch, I don't know who because I wasn't paying attention, but he caught my attention when he was saying things that uh, in, the, in the universe, in the God's creation, there are no straight lines. And that caught me off guard for a minute. I could, Wait a minute, there are straight lines. Why is he saying that there's no straight lines? I just, from, the, from my time in science, I know there are some straight lines in, in science. There are some things that are completely straight. But anyway, he was using this. He said, uh, that's because with God, you never know what he's going to do. Oh, man, I, I just jumped up with that. I says, what? <laughs> what do you mean you never know what he's going to do? I said, that's why I mentioned to my wife. I said, why, if, God, if we're never supposed to know what God's supposed to do, he's always just out there doing some kind of a plan and we can't figure it out. Why was he so impressed, impressed with the centurion? Because the centurion knew, though no one else had asked him to do it, the centurion knew that if I ask him, that he can just say the word and this will happen. How is it that he knew that? How is it that people knew that if you bring the sick in front of Jesus, he's going to heal them? They try to set up traps for him. Well, let's bring in this sick person on the Sabbath day. Let's try and trap him because we know if we bring sick people in, he's going to heal them. We're supposed to know the will of God. Now, he slides that in there. He speaks that. And here's this radio station. They're putting it out there. This is, this is truth. That's garbage. It's pure garbage. You're, learning, you're not learning about God. God wants us to understand what he will do. He wants us to be like Daniel who understands the will of God and what God would do in the situation. He wants us to be like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who knew their God and understood what God would do. He wants us to be like Moses. When Moses saw the thing going on that Israel was doing, he said, oh, we better get on this quick, because I know how God is going to respond to this. The plague has already started. And they immediately responded to that, because they knew God, and they knew how he would respond. The people who had the best relationships with God, who did the most things, knew how God would respond. But those are the kind of things that they are, get snuck in. Don't settle for that. Don't just settle for, well, it sounds like it makes sense. And there's a whole lot of people who just hear that. Well, it sounds like it would make sense. You know, you can never tell what God's going to do. If that's the God that you serve, then you're not studying the Word enough. Because the Word doesn't show us that. So, Ana Lombano, to take up, keep this stuff on you. Don't be putting it on in the morning and supposedly taking it off at night. Keep that stuff on all the time. You need the armor of God on you. So we spent time on that before when we were on uh, that verse, verse 12, I guess it was. But here, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now this word here for quench is generally used in a literal sense in the word of God. It's used eight times in the New Testament. Seven of these times it's used in a literal sense and one time it is used in a figurative sense. And of course, here in Ephesians is it's one time in the figurative sense. But he says here that we are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, you can quench all the fiery darts. Now, the Romans' shield, I don't know if it had a limitation. I don't know how many 
arrows it could absorb before it was not as useful. I don't, I don't have that understanding. I don't have that knowledge. Uh, but I'm sure that it just being a natural uh, product that if you threw a thousand arrows at it, it might hit its limit at some point. But that's not the, the case with the shield of faith. The shield of faith will extinguish all the fiery darts of the, inner, of the enemy. Every single one. If we keep it in place, if we have it out in front, it will extinguish every fiery dart. Now, we told you what a fiery dart is. I, I would see it more as an arrow. Uh, I get an idea when I hear this fiery dart, some guy over there with a little dart in his hand and flinging them out there. Uh, but these are arrows. This is warfare. They're trying to pierce armor. And they have arrows. They have spears. They have big things, not little tiny darts. But it's able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So we can quench them all. Not some of them. That is the word for all that means all. Every one. But our shields must be maintained. We went over some of the maintenance you have to do with that. Saturated with the word. When you're going into battle, you just saturate that, that shield of yours in the Word. And it needs to be in front. Our shields need to be maintained, saturated with the Word, and in front. But here we want to take a look at this. What is, what is it to spiritually quench a thing? How do we quench the, um, how do we quench the fiery dart? Now, the word here, quench, it means to put out or extinguish, to subdue or destroy, to overcome, to remove the fuel supply. In order to use this word, this word is always, always, always used of something that is already on fire. It is already burning. It is not of something that is extinguished before it is lit. This word quench means to cut off the fuel supply, to, re, to extinguish. It comes from the Greek word. I don't, did I put that in your outline? Did I, I, I had to pull out a whole lot of stuff because there was just too much in there. Spen numai. It means to extinguish or quench, as we said. It is used in a number of different places in the Word. Eight different times we'll see this show up. One of those places in Matthew 25 and verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. They are being extinguished. The lamps were already lit. The word is used because we're taking something that is in a lit state. There is fire there and we are quenching it. We are extinguishing it. It's important to know that because there's been some interpretation on this that has led people to think otherwise. Hebrews 11, 32 and 34, through 34. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Well, we're talking about people who faced fire, and the fire didn't phase them. Of course, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three of the ones we think of the most with that. Jumped into the fire, and the fire did not hurt them. 1 Thessalonians 5:16. I want to really verse 19 is the one that has this word, but I wanted to read the whole passage for you. 16 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5:16 through 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. That word there, do not quench the spirit, is the same word as quenching the fiery darts. Exact same word. You cannot quench the spirit if the spirit has not moved. Sometimes people 
use this verse, they speak about churches. Well, they quench the spirit there. But what they mean is they're a church that doesn't believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. You cannot quench the Spirit by not allowing Him to move. You quench the Spirit when the Spirit has been moving and you do something against it. And we were taught on, on, on this. Um, sometimes people think, well, you know, if, if we sing the wrong songs, then the Spirit won't move. We'll quench the Spirit. No, you quench the Spirit when the Spirit begins to move and you go against what the Spirit is doing. If the Spirit of God is moving in a particular way, and while we don't like the way that that's moving, we're going to go in another direction. A good case of an example for this in Scripture is when Jesus was in the house and the presence of the Spirit of God was present to heal them. So the presence of God was there. He was present to heal them. That was plural. They lowered the guy down through the roof. Jesus looks at them and says, your sins are forgiven. And they all got upset. That's when they quenched the Spirit. Because the Spirit was present, the Spirit was doing things, and then they brought in their doubt and unbelief and went into the contrary way. And so in the end of that meeting, the only one who got healed was the guy on the stretcher. The Spirit of God had been present to heal them. them. We put all in there, but that's actually not in the text. To heal them, plural, but only the one was healed in the meeting because they all got upset and they all got angry and they quenched or they stifled what was already going on. So that's how you quench the Spirit when something is already moving, when something is already going on. Don't get the idea that the Spirit of God is this overly sensitive thing that if you sing the wrong song, I didn't want to sing that song today, so I'm just not moving. That's not the Spirit of God. That's not how He functions. That's not how He operates. It's not like we got a, uh, three songs, four songs, five songs, and you better get them all. If you don't get them, the Spirit of God's not going to move. You're going to quench the Spirit. And those kind of terms are thrown out. But that's not what it is. That's not how this is to, to be understood. So, to quench the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit in the church service. You can also quench the Spirit in your own life. Because if the Spirit of God is moving, and the Spirit of God is giving you revelation, and the Spirit of God is speaking something to you, You've all had it sometimes in the middle of the night. God will start speaking something to you. And you may say, oh, that's really good. You can feel the presence of God there. Oh, that's really good. The presence of God is there. He's, he's there to teach you. He's there to instruct you. Oh, this is good. I'm going to pick this up in the morning after I get a good night's rest. <laughs> and so you put your attention upon something else and you go back to bed and you wake up. Now, what was that? <laughs> and it's gone because you quenched the spirit. Because he was there, he was ready to go, but you didn't give the attention to it, you didn't give the food to it, and it went out, and it was gone. And so then, you only have to do that once or twice, and then you learn, I'm not letting that happen again. And so you, you learn to get up at 2 a.m. in the morning, or 3 a.m. in the morning, or whatever it was, and he's moving, he's speaking to you. If you're willing to talk to me now, I'm willing to listen. And you get up, and you write down, and you, and you take in the things that he wants to say to you. And then when you're done, you go on back to bed and you can, you can uh, get the rest of your rest that you're, you're going to get. And, and don't, uh, don't be worried about it. Don't quench the Spirit when He's there moving. Sometimes the Spirit of God has come upon us to even speak to some of the people that are around us. The Spirit of God wants us to go and talk to somebody who's near us, somebody in the store, somebody who's a relative, somebody at work. The Spirit of God is coming up. I can't do that here. And we tell the Spirit, no. What have you done? I quenched the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God was moving upon me, and I'm questioning Him. Well, you know, I can't do that here. I remember hearing that if you went through uh, the Monday video teachings, I'm pretty sure the, I put up there that one with Jesse when he was on the plane. And the Spirit of God told him, she's demon-possessed. And so uh, God said, uh, you're not going to let her stay demon-possessed. You remember that story? No, we, oh, I'll have to tell that story then. I thought we had put that one on up there. Um, Jesse Duplantis, as only Genis, Jesse Duplantis can tell it, he tells the story far better than I will ever I will get this thing told. But he, um, he was sitting there minding his own business, as he said, and this person comes down, and uh, he, he can see it in her eyes. He can see it in her face. She has a demon spirit. And so the Spirit of God spoke to him. and said, you're not going to let that stay that way. He said, God, I'm on a plane. 
He says, Jesse, I know where you are. <laughs> he said, I can't do that on the plane. And so they're going back and they're having this discussion. I don't remember everything that they said or not. And God says, I didn't say, God told him, he says, I didn't say you had to get up and do anything. Just pray right there. He says, it'll work that way. <laughs> so, so he just started praying right there, prayed in the spirit and started taking authority over that demon spirit. There was a couple of rows back and all of a sudden she starts fussing. She starts stirring up and she starts going. And so the guy sitting next to him says, hey, something's going on. He says, yeah, she's got a demon. <laughs> You can see Jesse doing that. And so um, uh, he just kept on praying. And she just kept stirring up more and more. Now they're, they're attracting attention from the, the flight staff and so forth. And things like that were going on. And so as she was doing this attention, he got up and he said, She has a demon! And he went over and cast the demon out of her. And uh, instead of causing a ruckus on the plane, they were actually thankful that he got up and handled that and she no longer had the demon. And he made some comment to the guy sitting next to him about him, you better get right because that demon spirit might just come back on you. <laughs> but he said uh, before the, the plane was done, I'm not, I'm not sure if this was in flight or if it was after the flight was over. I, I don't remember that part of the story. But uh, the, the uh, pilot, captain of the plane, came over to Jesse's seat. And he said, uh, he said sir, can you follow me? <laughs> and he's, he said, look, I was only trying to help. I said, she, she had a demon. He says, I know. Would you follow me? And so he just said, uh, I guess I'll just follow. So he followed, and the captain took him right into the cockpit. And he closed the door, and he says, I'm charismatic too. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jesse was so happy that he says, oh, glory, let's pray in tongues together. <laughs> so that was... Uh, that was the, and he said, I, I appreciate you helping us and taking care of that situation there. And so the captain was very thankful for it, and uh, he didn't get in trouble. But, um, see, you can quench the spirit. If the spirit of God is moving on you to take care of a situation, and you say no, and you give the excuses, you tell God where you are, like he's not aware. You tell God who you're dealing with, like he's not aware. You can quench the spirit. But the spirit has to start. He needs to move into something. As he is moving into something, I do something against it. Spirit of God may pour out into a church and the church just say, no, 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 we're not going this way and just, just shut it down. Just close it out. And you, you can't do those kind of things. Don't quench, do not quench the spirit is what he says. In the Septuagint, this word is used, and I'm quoting from a, a source that I have. Um, the verb is used frequently in the Septuagint. Continuing the to uh, be seen in classical literature, literally refers to the fire of the sacrificial altar, which was never to be quenched in Leviticus 6, 9. We're talking Septuagint. This is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So when they translated, they used this word for these in these places. Unquenchable fire was seen as the tool of God's judgment on both Edom and on the Negev. And that is, is in Isaiah 34, 10, Ezekiel 20 and 47. Uh, figuratively, it is used in the ending of life in 2 Samuel 21 and 17. There was life there. It was quenched. Of a family line, when a family line was cut off in 2 Samuel 14.7 and 2 Kings 14.7. Of love in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 7. And of fury in Jeremiah 4 and verse 4. Four times the reader is warned that the lamp of the wicked will be extinguished. And that was in Job 18.5 and 6.21.17 and Proverbs 13.9 and 24.20. You don't need to write those down. If you want them, you can, I can always send them to you. But that's the Septuagint references of this. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it is used of the fires of hell in Matthew chapter 9, 44, 46, and 48. All those are used. So, how do these darts, how do these fiery arrows defeat us? There needs to be fuel. In order for the fiery dart to work, there needs to be fuel that is put onto the arrow, and as long as that tar is burning, then it, it, it fuels the fire that they, that they have. Uh, you probably have seen some movies, you know, they take the, the archers will take the arrows and they dip it into the, the, the vat of the tar, 
and they have a fire right there and they light it on fire and then they pull it back and they, they fire it. And then it goes off into the, the target where they want it to go. If it doesn't hit somebody, it may land on something. It may land on something in the city if they shoot it over the wall and help to cause that to, to burn. They may use a catapult and use things that would launch more tar that's on fire to uh, burn down a, a gate uh, uh, to get into the city. They'll do all these kind of things. You probably have seen some of that in, the, in there. But the way that these, we've got to look at how do these things defeat us. How can a fiery dart defeat us and we can understand better how the shield of faith will protect us? And so the fuel that feeds both beneficial and destructive thoughts is attention. The fuel that feeds both beneficial and destructive thoughts is attention. That's your one blank I think you got there. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It's been a while since I, I went over this, but we'll just throw it out here to you again just so you keep this in mind. When he's, uh, How many have ever heard the teaching, you know, you have a stronghold in your life? People are teaching you, well, that just may be a stronghold in your life. And we've accepted that we can have a stronghold in our life. And there's a lot of Christians that just go around and say, well, that's just a stronghold in my life and I'm working on taking it down. Christians should not have any stronghold in their life. There is no such thing as a stronghold for a Christian. And that's biblical. Again, you have to hang on to the truth. Take a look at this verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Almost every time you see someone who wants to counsel someone, who wants to teach someone how to battle a stronghold in their life, they will teach you carnal things. Ways to break a habit. Things to do to break relationships that are destructive. They will teach you carnal things. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. If the weapons that we have in God are mighty and pull down strongholds, then if I use the weapons God has given me, there is nothing that can be a stronghold in my life. Does that not make sense? If the spiritual weapons always pull down the strongholds, then the only reason I have a stronghold in my life is because I'm not using the spiritual weapons. I'm using carnal weapons. If you use carnal weapons in your life, you will have strongholds. If you use spiritual weapons, you will pull them down. That's scripture. That's just what he says right there. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How many high things? The reason people have strongholds in their life is because they have accepted some high thing that has exalted itself against the Most High. And they have brought that into their life. But the spiritual weapons will pull it down. The spiritual weapons will come against it. They will cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing. That means there's nothing that should be able to be a stronghold in your life. Bringing what? Every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. You tell me anybody who's out there teaching about strongholds and Christians that does not have at the basis of that teaching, something about the thoughts of the person. Their thinking is in a certain line. Their thinking opens up the door for these things. We've got to change your thinking. In order to change your thinking, we've got to, we've got to reprogram you. We've got, to, we've got to do all these different things. We've got to go through counseling. We've got to go through uh, all kinds of things to do that. No. What you've got to do is get a hold of the spiritual weapons. You get a hold of the spiritual weapons, then you will, you'll have victory. Carnal weapons... They won't help you. Bringing every thought, every thought, every thought. That means whatever thought comes your way, it will bring it into captivity. What are the fiery darts? 
Fiery darts are thoughts that the enemy throws your way, sows into your life. The idea of it is to catch fire on the inside of you so that the fire spreads and destroys things. Here's a thought. That person doesn't like you. If I don't reject that, that thought comes in and sets in. I begin to have nasty thoughts to them. I begin to presuppose some of their motives. I begin to judge them as far as what they are doing. I have an attitude towards them. It begins to spread. It begins to take over. Pretty soon, I've got a stronghold, so as people say, in this area. Why? Because I have let a fiery dart in. It has, an, it has landed. It has destroyed things, but it wasn't supposed to ever get in there because the spiritual weapons will bring into captivity every thought. Any thought that is against the things of God, any thought that is against the knowledge of God, any thought that goes against His Word, spiritual weapons will come against it. And the particular spiritual weapon that Paul is looking at in Ephesians 6 is the shield of faith. The shield of faith will extinguish every fiery dart the enemy will throw at you. If you stay with it, if you keep it out in front of you, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Proverbs 4.20 My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. We're going 20 through 27. I don't think I have it written in your outline if you want to write it down. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. If you don't keep your heart with all diligence, if you let these fiery darts get in, then instead of life coming out, you will have death. You will have something other than life coming out of your heart. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. The more fuel the fire gets, the bigger it becomes and the harder it is to put out. You look at those big forest fires we see in the, the different states that don't take care of their forests. You get that little tiny fire, you can put that out. But once it gets into that roaring fire, the big, it's, it's hard to take care of that one. It's much easier to put it out when it's small. It's much easier to put out a fiery dart, a flaming arrow, than it is something that has gotten in and has started a fire on the inside of you. If you're going to take a person captive... What do you go with? If you're going to take a thought captive, what do you go with? You've got to go with some help. You've got to go with some weapons. You've got to go with something to bind them up. Greater force than what you expect to face. If you're going to take something captive, you've got to go in with greater force than what you expect to face. Doug Jones once, a uh, long time ago, he made this statement. If you learn how thoughts take you captive then you can take them captive. So ponder on how thoughts take you captive. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Well, I try to do that, but you know, it's no, this is what you do. If you have a thought that comes in, and it is not true, it is not noble, it is not just, it is not pure, it is not lovely, it is not of good report, that there is no virtue in it, that there is nothing praiseworthy, don't meditate on it. Get it out. How are you going to get it out? The shield of faith. These thoughts come in to shatter your faith in God's Word, to shatter your faith in His truth. You have been given the truth. These thoughts come in, they come in contrary to that truth, Trying to get you to think on something against the truth of God. Trying to get you to think on something about righteousness that is not what God taught you about righteousness. Get that shield up there. In front of all things, you have that shield. This is what is to take it. Whenever thought comes, you compare it to faith. Is this building up my faith in God? 
is this building up the faith I should have in the people that God has put around me? Or is it causing me to distrust people? Is it causing me to distrust my God? Is it causing me to distrust His Word? If it's doing these things, shield of faith says, that thought does not get in here. And you just cast it out. How do you do it? Just don't think on it. Just don't think on it. Now, I cannot speak from a woman's stand, standpoint. I can only speak from a guy's standpoint. I know how us guys are wired. I know that the way us guys are wired irritates wives. I do know that. Because, guys, we can be in, as, as it's been said, we can get in one room in the house. So your mind is a house. We can get in one room and we are in that room. No other room exists. We are in that room. That is it. I am not touching this room and this room and this room. I am in this room. And every guy that I know of out there has a room of nothing. I see a couple of amens. <laughs> every single one. Wife comes up to you and says, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Why? Because I'm in my nothing room. We have a nothing room. In that nothing room, we think about nothing. Now, woman, you don't have a nothing room. And you don't have the same capacity to be in one room at a time. You have the capacity to be in all rooms at the same time. Or as many rooms as you want to be. We don't have that capacity. So you women are not going to understand men in that way, and men are not going to understand women. But it is easier for a man to say, I can't understand that about my wife, I just accept it, than it is for a woman to say, I just accept that about the husband. Because to a woman, you cannot not be thinking about nothing. You cannot be thinking about nothing. It's just not possible. You, yes, we can. And we do it continually, constantly. It is a daily ritual for a guy to think about nothing. We recharge. We get ready for the things that are going because when we get into a room, we go into that room with greater intensity for that room than a woman will go after that same room because the woman will go into the room while still thinking about this room, this room, and this room, and this room. And it's, that's how God made you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not weakness. It is just difference. Enjoy what God made you, but don't make your husband into a woman. And men, you cannot make your, you cannot make your wife into a man. You may say, there is beauty in thinking about nothing and try and pass that off to her. She will not be able to enjoy that. But we can. We're not, men are not lying to you. When they say we're thinking about nothing, we are thinking about nothing. Zip. <laughs> and you can tell us we're not thinking about nothing and we're in the room for nothing. And you know what? We're not thinking about what you think about us think, thinking about nothing. Because we're thinking about nothing. And we're okay with that. But you have to understand how the mind works. You have to understand how your mind works. Now, for a guy, it is very easy for us that if somebody offends us, that we just don't go in that room. Real easy. I just don't go in that room. Well, I know that they did that, but I don't need to visit that room. I'm going to stay over here in this room. We can do that. It's a lot easier. It is more difficult for a woman to, to be... Not impossible! Not impossible. You just have some other things that you have to get, get over to do that. We men don't have that part. That's one of the reasons why men go to war. That's why God has been going to war. Because when a man goes to war, he blocks out everything but the battle. Everything. They can engage in battle and they block it off. A man can go to work and his wife battle with him in the, in the morning and she'll be upset at that battle all day long. The man goes to work we're in the workroom. We're not thinking about the argument room. Thinking about the workroom. And you can block all that stuff off. It's not that you don't care. It's just that you are in one room at a time. That's all that it is. That's how God made you. God made you that way for a reason. God made women the way He made them for a reason. Don't fight it. Understand it. But if you want to take that fiery dark captive... Well, you better take that fire guard captive because if you don't, it will take you captive. If you want to go around and talk about how that person hurt you, how that person offended you, what that person did to you, all these different things that are going on, that thought will take you captive. You have to get away that, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking on that. 
I'm going to think on these things. You can, women, you can still be in multiple rooms, just be in multiple good rooms. Don't get in those bad rooms. Don't get in those rooms that have those, those uh, skeletons in the closets and the, and the uh, cobwebs and all that sort of stuff. No, stay out of that room. No, I don't want to have those things in my thoughts. I don't want to be meditating on those things. I want to be on these things. And you will have that victory. But the more fuel that you give those thoughts, the more they will stay in your life. And the shield of faith is being put down. Keep it out. He's saying, take the, above all. In other words, out in front. You've got to have that shield of faith. Every thought that comes in, compare it in faith. Faith in His Word. Faith in the things that He's done. I've got to speed up or we're not going to get done here. You're going to have thoughts like you are ugly, unwanted, unloved, and unappreciated. And if you keep on thinking on those things, they don't appreciate me at work, they don't appreciate me at home, they don't appreciate me here. If you keep thinking those things, it's going to mess you up. You have no purpose. You are useless. If you keep thinking on those things, I have no purpose. I am useless. If I keep thinking on that, it's going to take me captive. Don't be thinking on that. When that thought comes in, you put the shield of faith up. My God has a purpose for me. My God has a use for me. I am here for a reason. He says, I thought that person doesn't like you. Glory to God. The only reason they don't like me is because they don't know me. I'm going to go up there and get to know them. <laughs> Who is it? One of those guys that's out there. I think it may have been Jesse. It may have been, uh, I think it was Jesse. Uh, people come up to him and say, uh, I don't like you. Uh, that's just because you don't know me. Mm-hmm. Maybe Keith. Keith may say, and I think it was Keith. Keith Moore had to say that. People come up to him, I don't like you. That's just because you don't know me. <laughs> and he'd work to get to know him. Now the Word of God is given to form beliefs. Those beliefs are to be formed in us. Those beliefs are to feed our thoughts, our words, and our actions. The beliefs that you get from the Word of God are to feed your thoughts, your words, and your actions. The same Word of God that formed our belief also defends us. That is part of your defense. It's in there with the belt of truth. And that belt of truth is what establishes that faith because it's faith in what God has said. You compare every thought to what God has said. What has God said about you? And you think on these particular things. I really wanted to get here to the end. I don't want to run out of time. Seeing the shield of faith in battle is important. I've got to see it in battle. If I don't see the shield of faith in battle, I'm not going to necessarily know how to use it. Should I put your shield up? And I had to go against my Star Trek lingo because Star Trek lingo, you know, it shields up. But no, it's your shield. You have a shield. Get your shield up. Abraham, when the five kings came and took Lot, his shield was up. The thought would probably come in, you can't go against five kings. You can't go against with, your, with the group that you got. You can't do that. That thought would come. He had his shield up. My God has said this. My God has done this. And he went right into battle and got that victory. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies who saw exactly the same thing. And when the thought came, you can't take this land, you're not big enough, you're not equipped, they said, we can. Because they had their shield up. And that thought came in, they had their faith in God. No, we are able. The other ten had their shield down. And they said, no, we're not able to do this. Elisha is surrounded in the city. His servant is scared. His servant is bringing in those thoughts. We're going to die. They're going to come and get us. And Elisha is calm. And he says, oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. The Lord opened up his eyes. Let him begin to see. And then his eyes were open. He saw the army of angels that were around them. Oh, okay, we're okay. Well, Elisha already knew that. He had the same thoughts coming to him. The same thought that went to his partner. The same thought was sowed in him. But his shield was up. John the Baptist... His shield was initially up when he saw Jesus. And the thought came that maybe this isn't the Christ, but his shield was up. This is the Messiah. But later on, he's over there in the, in the prison. And he's thinking, hmm, is this really him? Is this really God? Go, go, uh, disciples, go and ask him. Are you really the Messiah? He was sure of it before, but now all of a sudden he wasn't because somehow his shield got down. He's over there in prison. It looks like... Uh, Things were kind of kind of bleak for him. Ananias. 
he's one that his shields were down. Don't you want to be thought of highly by the people? Don't you want to be thought of like Barnabas is, is thought of? Don't you want to be over there like, uh, look at all the accolades he's getting. You want to be one like that? I do. And he didn't have his shield up because if that came in and he had the shield of faith up, he would have put that shield of faith up to it. No, that's a lie. And for me to, to try and lie to the Holy Spirit, it means I don't think that God really knows what's going on. It means I don't think that, that uh, God's in touch with what's happening here. I don't think that God really cares about me. So many things could have been there to stop him in that. But he didn't do it. His shield was down. Abraham, his shield was down. He had thoughts of failure and famine and, and the offspring. He had the word from God. And when he gets in the land, there's a famine there. He thinks, oh, we've got to get out of this land. God said to come to this land, but apparently that was wrong. And so he flees over to Egypt. He, uh, God comes to him and said, Abraham, you're blessed. And he says, how am I blessed? I don't have a descendant. His shields are down. Those thoughts are coming in. He's given thought to it. Aaron, at the mountain. And the people came to him and said, make us gods that uh, we can worship instead of this God that's up in the mountain or else we're going to kill you. And so he made them gods. He made them the, the golden calves. Elijah with the queen. His shield was up on the mountain. On the mountain, his shield is up. And he's there against all of them. But then the queen says something and somehow his shield got down and he didn't take that that she said and compare it to what God has said. And he became fearful and he ran off. The disciples in the garden, they were misunderstanding some of Jesus' teaching. Either one, the disciples in the garden when they fled or when they were misunderstanding some of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus would say things and they would, they would think the wrong thing about the teaching. Their shield was down. They're not taking what they hear in the thought realm and bringing it under control. But the big one I want us to take a look at is Judas. In Matthew 10 and verse 4, it tells us that Judas Iscariot was one of the ones that Jesus called who also betrayed him. But he's one of the ones that, that Jesus called. So he said to Judas, just like he said to Peter, just like he said to John, just like he said to Andrew, follow me which meant leave what you have and follow me. And Judas received that. And you know he had to be getting the same thoughts that Peter and John and James and all the other ones were getting. But how about will I survive? How will my family survive if I leave my job, if I leave my, my business? Well, how will, this, how will this work? But Jesus said, follow me. And so they did. And Judas was one of those same ones. He fought the thoughts that would have discouraged him from following Jesus. Other people had the same call. Follow me. They didn't take it. They succumbed to the other thoughts. The, the rich ru ruler who came in. What must I do to be saved? Sell all that you have and come follow me. And he went away grieved. Because other thoughts came in. I can't sell everything I have. I can't just leave everything and follow him. But Judas... Responded in uh, John 6, verse 70 and 71. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So he's telling people ahead of time, one of you is going to betray me. So he's given them this word. So as the thoughts would come into them to betray Jesus, they could go back, no, 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 wait a minute. I don't want to be that one. Jesus said... This is going to happen to somebody. I don't want to be that one. He could have compared what these thoughts were to betray Jesus to what Jesus had said. When he sent out the twelve and the seventy to cast out demons and lay hands on the sick, don't you know that Judas was one of the ones who went out? And Judas is one of the ones who's laying hands on the sick and casting out demons in his name. He had thoughts. You can't do this. But he didn't go into, didn't accept those thoughts. He compared those thoughts to what Jesus said, go and lay hands on the sick. And he did it. And so he, he still has his, his shield up there. John 12 and verse 1 through 8, this is where it changed. And six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, uh, Lazarus was who was dead, whom he had raised from the dead. They made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those 
who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So this clued us in that not just at this situation, but before this, the thought came in. There's a whole lot of money in that money box. They won't miss a little bit. And look at all the work that you're doing. You deserve to get some money for that. And so he gave in to the thought and he took some of the money. And then he began to take more money. And then pretty soon we need to have more money in the box so they can't tell how much money I'm taking. And we could have sold this and put more money in the box and then no one would have known if I took even a little bit more out. But he didn't. He didn't have any care for the poor, but he used that as an excuse. But all these thoughts were going in. He's letting them right in. He's bringing them right in. And now he's thinking contrary thoughts to Jesus, but he's not bringing that back to the part that Jesus said, one of you will betray me. If he did, he might have been able to quench it right there. But the fire has started. 26, Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now he's looking for an opportunity to betray him. And Jesus had said, One of you will betray me. That should have woken him up. Wait a minute. One of us is going to betray him? And I'm here trying to find a place to betray him? That's what Jesus said before it ever happened. But it didn't wake him up. Luke 22, 3-6, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. This shows you this is a spiritual battle that's going on here. There is spiritual warfare and he brought the wrong weapons. And he put down the weapons that God had given him and he was using other ones. He betrayed. Take a look at some of the armor that he let go here. Just the pieces that we looked at so far. First off the belt, he had the revelation to follow Jesus. And that he was the Messiah. He allowed other thoughts to come in and be accepted over the truth revealed to him. Remember Jesus asked them, Who do men say that I am? And then he said, Who do you say that I am? And they said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Judas had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Had that revelation. It was revealed to him. This is something that he had. This is part of his belt of truth. Not everybody had that, but he had that. He was one of the twelve, but he allowed other thoughts to come in. And he began to think, all right, well, maybe he was the Messiah. Maybe I was wrong in hearing he was the Messiah. Maybe we were all wrong in thinking that he was the Messiah. But he took in these thoughts, and instead of comparing them to the truth that he knew, he compromised the truth that he knew. And he allowed other truth to come in. The breastplate, he accepted that he could be righteous apart from the work of Messiah and that his standing with God was better than Jesus' place. He thought that he was in a better standing with God than Jesus. He thought that he would know better what was best for the Messiahship than Jesus knew. He thought he knew the plan of God better than Jesus knew. That's what happens when we put down the spiritual armor. These thoughts came in. The devil sowed these thoughts in them. You can do this better than Jesus did Exercise the plan this way. And of course the shield, if this was in place and if it was out in front, he could have been protected, but he decided to doubt. He decided to doubt the word. He decided to doubt the prophets. He decided to doubt his own revelations that he received. Any truth that causes you to doubt the love, faithfulness, care, plan, word of God would be revealed as a fiery dart. Any word, any truth, anything that comes to you and causes you to doubt the love, the faithfulness, the care, the plan, or the word of God would be revealed as a fiery dart. Thoughts that come from God or absorbed by your shield, added to your faith, truth, and understanding 
of his righteousness. Thoughts that come from God are absorbed by your shield and adding to the faith, the truth, and the understanding of his righteousness. That's basically you rubbing oil into it. The more truth that you get, you're rubbing oil into that faith shield. You're keeping the truth going in. You're going over the truth that you know. You're going over the truth that God is revealing to you. You're listening to hear more. Every time you hear more truth, you're rubbing more oil into that faith shield. You're maintaining that faith shield. You're getting that faith shield in the shape that it needs to be. And this is what we need to do. Judas did not do it. And he went from a place of being one of the 12 people that Jesus picked and one of the people who followed Jesus so closely and had given up all things to follow Jesus to the place where he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. You are in a spiritual battle. These thoughts are coming at you all the time. Every thought that comes to you, you compare to the Word of God. This has caused me to distrust people. This has caused me to doubt people. This has caused me to not think the best of people. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, verses of Scripture 4-7 through that really define for us what we should be thinking about with other people. Is this that I'm hearing, is this thought that I'm hearing helping me walk in that? If it's not, get rid of it. Put it out. I don't have time for that. I don't need that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, but if you don't think on this thing, you might be... No, if I think on that thing, I'm bringing fire into my house. And we're not going to bring that in. We're going to let the shield of faith catch that and extinguish it because your field of, of your shield of faith can extinguish as many darts as the enemy can throw your way. There is no limit to what it can do. Keep the shield of faith out in front. Have that belt on and keep that belt tight. Keep, when you learn more truth, put it right in there. Don't let it go. Everything that you look at, everything that you hear, you compare it. You don't give thought to it. You don't let that, that stuff come in. When you're hearing some nut on the radio give his idea of God, you take every single one of those things and you compare it to the Word of God. That is not my God. That is not how He does things. And you immediately put up that shield, or you keep that shield up, you let that shield absorb that arrow. I am not taking that in. I don't care who you are. I don't care what big church you pastor. I am not listening to that because that is not my God. And you come against it. I usually do that. When I hear somebody say something, I get vocal with it. I start speaking. That is not my God. That is not how He operates. And I start quoting scriptures from it. This is what the Word of God says, and this is what the Word of God says, because that's how I put my shield up. I'm not bringing that stuff in. I'm not thinking on those things. I'm not going in that direction. Keep your shield up. It's a spiritual weapon. It fights these things off, and it will tear down every stronghold. Every one. It will tear down every thought. Nothing exalted against the Most High can stand against these weapons. That's how powerful they are. Father, we thank you for the powerful weapons that you have given us. As we learn what they are and how they are used and how people in the Word of God use them, we are going to be even more equipped in our own spiritual battles and we will win every one we are engaged in. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.